I remember Doom in 1993 being really controversial and really violent and really like scary and um, very mature. It didn't feel like a video game. So then what we need to do is take those aspects and do a modern interpretation of that. You know, what's violent and aggressive and controversial or whatever today? What does that mean in 2020? Then we start sort of developing sounds that represent those qualities. And inadvertently that feels like doom. Hey there, my name is Daniel and I'm from Pixelsift. Pixelsift is an award-winning gaming outlet that tackles the big and small of making and playing games. As you know, Doom Eternal has just come out and it's bigger and badder and better than ever. Australian composer Mick Gordon has worked on a number of Bethesda titles, including Wolfenstein The New Order and Prey, and of course, the Doom reboot in 2016. Now. When you hear the soundtrack to Doom Eternal, you might think, yeah, that's metal. But for Mick, that's not how he approaches it. For him, genres aren't that useful when finding the right sound. I actually don't think about genres at all. Uh, I, I Even if we're working with a new developer, I try to get away from that conversation as quick as possible. Um, the reason being is that, again, what is metal to you? You know, what is metal to me? Uh, it, it can be totally different for different people. Um, and I feel that's the thing. If you come out and you're saying, hey, we're working on a metal thing, there's going to be a group of people out there that are going to think it's a revival of Metallica. There's going to be a group of people out there that thinks it's going to be a revival of new metal from 2002. There's going to be a group of people out there that's going to think it's a emo revival or whatever. It just means so many different things to different people. And I have a lot of conversations with a lot of musician buddies and, and they all feel the same way as well. Like it's whether you're playing a C-sharp on a violin or you're playing a C-sharp on an electric nine-string, right? It's still a C-sharp. It's still a C-sharp. It's just a different expression of that note. And so I don't think about it of like, let's genreify this. It's more like, what are the, the textures and sounds and um, the abuse that we can put sound through that sort of represent this concept of like sonic violence that is synonymous of doom. And so that's when you end up with, you know, like guitar stuff that might be really, really low and really distorted and really loud and drums that are really fast and, and hit really hard. And of course, when you throw those things together, yes, in, inadvertently, you're going to get stuff that is, I guess, somebody might say is under that metal umbrella, but that's never the intention at all. Um, the other thing is if you restrict yourself to the genre, then you're restricting yourself to nothing, like just stuff that's within that genre. You know what I mean? You can't sort of borrow cool synth stuff and you can't go and play with other sort of sounds and things. So now since... 2016 Doom, and that was more of a, a reboot, right? And so you had to tread old ground and find a way to bring in your new sort of flavor to it. And um, how did you find a balance of bringing in old elements with a new spin and establish establishing Doom Eternal as having its own identity from Doom 2016? And what was the process like? I've been lucky to find myself in this similar position a few times. So uh, bringing back Killer Instinct, bringing back Wolfenstein, bringing back Doom. Um, so very often, like, it's... Um, this this same conversation that you're talking about comes up. Um, I learned very quickly when we started doing Killer Instinct that the worst thing you can do is go, okay, so the first piece of music, let's remake the old theme. It's like, that's that's just a recipe for disaster because all, you, all you're doing then is like doing a modern interpretation of whatever was already done. Instead, 
what we do is sit down and, and try and define what made Doom or Wolfenstein or, or Killer Instinct, whatever, what made that game special when it originally came out. Um, not look at the trends that were trendy at the time, not look at uh, the the um, the technical limitations of graphics cards or whatever, not look at that stuff. That's not what I'm talking about, but what, what was special about it. And when you look at Doom, I remember Doom in 1993 being really controversial and really violent and really like scary and um, very mature. It didn't feel like a video game, you know. It was similar time Mortal Kombat was making a lot of headwaves for the similar um, with similar sort of things, right? Very very serious, uh, very mature, um, kind of scary. And so then, what we need to do is take those aspects and do a modern interpretation of that, you know, what's violent and aggressive and controversial or whatever today, what does that mean in 2020? Um, then we start sort of developing sounds that represent those qualities and inadvertently that feels like doom straight away, or it feels like killer instinct straight away because you're trying to make the same sort of thing using, ah, oh, man, it's really hard to explain, but you're trying to, you're trying to find the same ingredients in a way, you know, in a modern way, yeah. Um, it's interesting on Doom 2016, you literally like, you know, go sort of Mars and then like hell. And that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> it's like outdoor that it's pretty much Mars outdoor and then Mars indoor and then to hell. And then that's the end of the game. So um, when I did Doom 2016, we had Mars exterior track one, Mars exterior track two. We had Mars interior track one, two, three. We had UAC environments, I guess, which were more like not so sort of industrial Mars. They were more like high corporate Mars. Uh, so we had three UAC tracks, and then I think I had one or two hell tracks. Uh, and that was it. And that's literally what they call it. It's like BFG division on my end is called UAC track number 155 beats per minute. That's what it's called. That's the name of it. Um, so with Doom Eternal, it's like, oh, all of a sudden we have a hub world and a portal. And I'm like, great, Hugo, this is awesome. Uh, and he's like, you can go all around to five different dimensions and you can go to heaven and you can go to hell and you can go to this Iceland and you can go to like ancient doom areas. And it was like, oh man, this is going to be crazy. But um, very quickly we, we figured out that we couldn't really do like doom heavy aggressive music in an ancient way. And we couldn't really do doom heavy aggressive music in a heavenly way. Um, Instead, the character of each of those levels really came through in the ambient music. So when you're not fighting, because I felt when you're not fighting, that's just you existing in the world, right? Sorry, that's you exploring the world is what I should say there. That's the ambient music is, is expressing you exploring the world. And then when you're engaging in combat, it's the same as anywhere. You know, it's just doom guys shooting up demons. So... It's like that's the, that's you infiltrating that world. And so there you should bring your music with you in a way. And that it kind of works. Okay. So, um, so yeah, that was, that, that was definitely, it's obviously very much a big part of the approach for sure. What happens is that we sit down and decide what 
what a typical Doom level is going to have. So you're going to have really high level combat. You're going to have medium combat. You're going to have sort of incidental combat. And then you're going to have exploration. That's pretty much like the four stages that you're going to have. And um, my job is to write music for each one of those four situations. So we have ambient music. We have light combat music. We have medium combat music. We have really heavy combat music. Um, then we uh, build that, obviously make all that stuff and hand it over to the design team. And it's the design team that builds the levels. And they're the ones that decide, okay, do we start the level really aggressively or do we start with just incidental combat or do we start with two minutes of exploration, right? And that's it. And, and the design team are the ones that will go through over and over and over again and really refine how the level flows. Um, so I'm not like scoring the level from A to B consciously. I'm just making sure that they've got the tools there. So if they want an extra six minute ambient piece in the middle, that content is already there. Uh, and that's, that's kind of how these levels are built for this game. What are the challenges of making a soundtrack for a game that's so action-packed, right? There's a lot of stuff going on in the low end as far as explosions and shotguns and demonic voices so that it's not drowned out by explosions and gunfire and that. Yeah, and um, that's stuff that approach I, I um, uh, had taught to me a long time ago by my mentor named Charles Deenan. And his philosophy was uh, really, really simple with um, with video game stuff. Um, Charles is amazing. Charles has been around a really, really long time and uh, has worked in the game industry for a really, really long time. And uh, and one of his philosophies was that if you've got a lot of like really punchy gunfire and um, engine sounds or screams or whatever, like really aggressive sound design that's happening, then the music needs to be punchy as well. Um, the moment you do sort of long drawn out notes and, uh, you know, long drawn out sections which aren't really percussive or whatever, um, it just gets lost in the mix. But if the machine gun is going pop, 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 and the music underneath it is, is doing like a it's, it'll come through, right? The, it sort of sorts itself out in a way. And um, the way we think about it is like throwing a lot of short energy bursts at the player. So we're not showing, throwing like a long energy burst at the player, like a big, whatever that just, it just, it just appears. It just disappears into the background. But if there's lots of like pop, 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 pop all happening all the time, that's what gives it the, the clarity. And uh, one, one new addition with Doom Eternal that I, uh, I really like, you got a whole bunch of different talented vocalists. Uh, I think it was in Austin, Texas. And um, yeah, and, and sort of adding this, this uh, demonic droning and, and the effect of being in a hellscape. And what was it like working with them and how did that come to be? So when you're working on a project, it's like there's so much going on all the time and, and uh, it's difficult to sort of know even in yourself how you feel about certain things. And um, it's not until after the fact where you kind of reflect on it and go, oh, that, that part that we did then, that was really cool. And the metal choir f it will definitely be that for, for Doom Eternal. That was the the coolest aspect about the, the, the job as a whole. Um Hugo said that he wanted this ancient chant, like this this chant from these ancient warriors that the Doom guy had some sort of association with, right? And um, same again, it came back to exactly what we were talking about earlier. How do we do this in the way that's the most appropriate for the Doom universe? So we need a chant, that's step one. We need a chant and it's got to be in a cool language. Okay, that's step two. That's getting that's getting closer to doom, right? Uh, we need a chant and it's got to be like super aggressive, shouty. It can't be singing, right? It's not a happy chant. These are very aggressive, like warlike chants. Okay, that's step three. Each, each time we're doing this, we're getting closer to doom. 
And then it was like, well, you know, what I've always wanted to do is to get a group of metal singers together and form a choir out of metal screamers, you know? So let's do that. Let's build an ensemble of metal screamers and have them perform the chant. And all of a sudden it's like, bam, that's that's doom right there. Just that concept. Um, for this one, it was not like we could just, you know, call up an agency and, hey, you know, say to them, hey, can we get your metal choir for the weekend? There is no such thing. We had to build this thing from scratch. Um, time was running out and I thought, you know, the best way to find this is going to crowdsource it, you know, just put out an open call and get metal screamers out there to send me a little audition of their, their, their voice. And we'll put this thing together that way. And at this point, I thought it was such a stupid idea. And people were telling me it was such a stupid idea that I didn't think anybody would be interested. Um, so, uh, I put a video together. I put it up on YouTube, uh, open call for metal screamers to, you know, apply for this choir. And, uh, I kept the application period open for like a month. Um, anyway, I didn't think I'd get anybody, right? Within two days, I had 2000 applications through and I'm like, man, we have to cut this thing early. Uh, we won't be able to get through everybody. This is insane. And for me, um, you get the most rich sound, the most unique sound, um, through diversity. So as many different things as possible. So I set about going through and just picking out all the, the very unique voices, you know, so Sven from Aborted sounds very different from Tony Campos, for example. It sounds very different to, uh, you know, Chad Kappa from Frontiera. Um, so, they all were very, very unique. Uh, Nature James, who's like a throat singing sort of metal, Mongolian metal singer guy, he was amazing. Um, so putting this entire like ensemble of all these incredible people together was all about just diversity, just trying to get as many different voices as we possibly could. Um, so we got half male, half female, because that's, you know, it gives you such a big wide range as well. Um, so yeah, so that was great. And then the, the final step was obviously doing the thing. Um, we booked a theater in Austin, Texas, and it just accidentally happened to be the same week as South by Southwest. Um, so we booked it all, lined everybody up, and then found out that South by Southwest was there at the same time. Now, if you're not familiar with South by Southwest, um, it's a festival, but it's it covers the entire city. It's huge. It's like half a million people that turn up. It's insanely massive. And we drove down from Dallas the day before, and as we arrived at the theater, there was like this massive hip-hop tent that was setting up right next door, right? And these guys had this sound system that was just like otherworldly it was humongous so when i was working with all these metal choir recording things uh recording files afterwards they've all got this like 808 beats underneath <laughs> so um it took like uh it took a bit of time to remove all that stuff but luckily i had an amazing engineer named charlie vila and he set up like a whole range of different microphones for us. Um, I had a whole bunch of different parts written, um, scored out uh, as, as an orchestral score in a way, like a, like a choir score, I should say, sorry. Um, and yeah, we spent like uh, six hours recording this amazing metal choir. So uh, it was incredible, man. It was really fun. I actually, I really hope that sort of adds something to the Doom universe. And I don't know where Doom is going to go in the future, of course, but I really hope this sort of sound of this metal choir, this vocal metal element sort of comes through. Um, you can't really have like screamers like screaming over the top of the track while you're playing. It just, it feels corny. It doesn't feel cool. But taking like a screamer choir, I hope that sort of becomes a bit of a Doom thing. I think that'd be cool. That 
was Mick Gordon, who composed music for Doom Eternal. You can follow Mick on Twitter at Mick underscore Gordon and see what he's up to. Thank you to Mick Gordon for the use of some of the Doom Eternal soundtrack in this story. You can also head over to pixelsift.com.au to find a written version of the story and some more insight into Mick's creative process. That's pixelsift.com.au. And you know what? While you're there, you can also find a stack of other interesting articles to read, podcasts to listen to, and videos to watch. Until next time, have fun. Thank you.